Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to View with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Mescal, the show of Las Almas, Rotas, Colorado, and so much more. In October of 2020, I sat down with a fine gentleman named Reed Spear, the proprietor and creator of Cuento Cuentos Mescal, a beautiful mescal from different areas of Oaxaca, and actually tried some samples from Guerrero too, which were quite spectacular. But lo and behold, I talked to him this week. He is going to be back at Las Almas Rotas this upcoming week or the week after, either way. And so what better time to circle back and finally announce the launch in Texas of his beautiful Cuenta Cuentos Mezcales. I'm very, very excited. So I hope you guys enjoy this great chat pre-COVID in person, that deep, sexy voice with Reed Spear. I don't know who's playing drums. I really don't. But she said she took one look at Chris, you know, striking <laughs> visage he presents. She said, "Are you guys a band?" Right. <laughs> we said, "No, well, we're here on a on a junket, tasting, tasting, doing mezcal tasting." So yeah. She said, "You guys." <laughs> I wanted to go to that. Was that last night? Oh, Damn no it. way. Oh, she knew. She totally knew. Yeah. What was the, was the cafe close to downtown? Or? Yeah, it was close uh, in Deep Ellum. Yeah. So okay. it's just only a few minutes away from Las Almas Rotas where we did that event. And Dude, you told me it was pretty much sold out, too. It was, Packed yeah. house, right? It was packed house. So we ran out to the truck and poured her, uh, poured her and her coworker a couple ounces of uh, the Tepestate. Oh, man. They were thrilled. How does it feel to... Because this is this is the thing, right? So you know the way that we kind of met was through Shad, the owner of Us Almost wrote this, and he was he was so excited about these mescals because he's he told me you know straight up he's like I was kind of reticent to, to kind of talk to this, this guy from Colorado. You know sure. everybody's got everybody's got a goddamn mescal and stuff, but apparently how connected you were to it and how beautiful the juice itself was, he was he was preaching it to me. He's like, dude, you gotta try this. So this all comes for full circle. You happen to be in Texas. You get a sold out house. You haven't even been. You've been to. This is the first time to Austin, right? First time to Austin, yeah. But you've been to Dallas before? Uh, in the 90s. Yeah. You know, but just briefly in and out. So. Dude, how does it feel? The fact that no one knew who you were. Now they know who you are. They know the Mezcal. And you had a packed house at the the premier Mezcaria in Dallas. Well, I got I got it. You know, I got to tip my hat to Shad for yeah. that, right? Les Almas wrote this is a big draw. So yeah. having them behind it. And, and this is the thing that's impressed me so much about this whole journey is that I, I talk to people about this. I offer them some tastes and they're drawn in. My friends are with me because they're, they're just intensely interested in this. Yeah. Right. And they're very, they're very supportive. Um, but they're just fascinated by it. And that seems to be the way it's been going. Everybody that I talk to about this wants to do something to help. Yeah. And I'm not even asking them for help. It's just, it's amazing. It's completely new to me after almost 50 years 
on the planet and yeah. been doing entrepreneurial activity the whole time to have so many people just kind of come in around it and want to pitch in. It's, it's wonderful. What do you, so obviously you've been warmly welcomed here to Texas, of course. Yeah, absolutely. But the the larger community, which we have a lot of similar mutual friends and stuff, it seems like they've embraced you as well and that this community, I mean, is really communal, not to be redundant, but how do you feel about the community at large and how you've kind of been embraced by it? Well, I think I think everybody understands that mezcal is just this new sector. Yeah, it's a special sector. This it's unlike any other spirit in the world, and in that you know it just cuts through all strata of culture in Mexico. It's the only spirit that really expresses terroir. Yeah, and that when you elevate the uh, awareness of mezcal, everybody does better. Yeah, there's there's rising just, tide kind of thing. Yeah, rising tide lifts all boats yeah. so everyone seems to just completely get that and it's wonderful and it's different because you know there are some oh, what it chad calls them nightclub mescals yeah that's i think that's a really great it's a great term yeah. yeah and i was like dude it's fucking brilliant. i'm gonna i'm gonna steal it but i always credit him for saying that but in this i said it was it's like blood in the water right so mezcal is this emerging segment like you said which captures terroir in terms of spirits Unlike anything else, I mean, you talk about Odevis kind of do that, but whiskeys don't do that, right? Right. So, given that people are rushing to probably make a dollar, do you find that the conversations are harder for you because the people that you're talking to, are like, dude, I just talked to this other guy with a messed out brand, are people becoming jaded, or you find that? Yeah, no, I th- there's there is definitely that aspect to it, and that's okay. I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, I just you just have to be a little bit more patient and. It's tough to say no to somebody when they're in front of you. Yeah. And so if you just, if they'll give you a minute to talk, they can, they can then let down their guard a little bit and sure. understand that, you know, I spent, I don't know, three and a half years beating the bushes with Carlos Mendes, looking for these expressions, learning yeah. about mezcals with him, polishing off my Spanish. And um, it, I could have launched three years ago with something ready to roll yeah but it wasn't the way i wanted to go about it yeah and that's actually an interesting story last night is that it, i got the sense that from an economic perspective i think it was the state of oaxaca they're like hey these are already bottled they're ready to go you're a dude in the states how about you bring them in are they really that eager to bring mezcal of any they, kind? they, they really are yeah. they really are they're they're they want to sell their product. I mean, this is this is they see this as a golden opportunity. So, yeah. you know, I'm coming out of the, the cannabis industry, right? And so that we call it the green rush, and they're experiencing a similar uh, uptick in interest in in mezcal yeah. now. It's kind of out of the the back of the woods. The stigma of it being, you know, moonshine for a lower caste mm-hmm. is gone, um, and you know the. The, the U.S. interest in products that have a social component, that have that transparency, that celebrate the hand of the maker. Yeah. It just checks all the boxes, and they really see this as their opportunity to get out in front of probably for the first time in generations. Um, yeah, the opportunity to, to, to move up. Yeah, kind of improve the cachet and just the general brand recognition of Mezcal. In a sense. And I think, yeah, and, they're, there's, and they are deservedly proud of what they're doing which is great yeah you know it's funny is when again kind of referring back to one of these books i was reading when they're talking about oaxaca and the the aughts or even the late 90s there were no 
because there were apparently a lot of people traveling into Oaxaca from other parts of Mexico, mm-hmm. and there wasn't really good mezcal. And even the first time I went, like five, six years ago, in the square, it was just rubbish mezcal. But then I just went again in November. The mezcal selections now, just in retail, are some of the best marks I've seen. There's stuff that's like... So it's obviously changing. People are embracing it. But I still like the concept that you could probably just go to the consulate. Is that probably the right group? And be like, I want to start a brand, and they've got multiple ones pre-packaged for you? Well, no, it was a little bit more circuitous than that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I went to the consulate in Denver, and they said, and I sat down and had a coffee with um, with the consul, and, and um, um, he put me in touch with ProMexico yeah. Houston. Okay. Uh, ProMexico Houston put me in touch with ProMexico Oaxaca. There I got to know uh, Thalia Filogo Reyes and um, Lisbeth, her her friend Lisbeth. <laughs> um, I believe her last name is Santiago. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Lisbeth, if you're listening to this. Really wonderful, super people, and and they were putting on, um, you know, these. Um, I can't remember what they named the events, but it was basically let's introduce American importers to mescaleros yeah. with brands that are ready to go or yeah. ready to do private label do white label yeah, yeah. and i went down to two of those and they were actually subsidizing some of the airfare which i thought was incredibly generous that's great yeah and um but after the second one i, I you know thalia said you know what do you think of these events i said they're they're fantastic i mean they're holding them in the, the ethnobotanical garden right it's just yeah. gorgeous all pulled out all the stops just you, you couldn't ask for a better better events mm. and i said well this is this is great but it's not it's not the thing that i'm really looking for i'm looking for an opportunity to get out in the weeds and find some people who don't have opportunity yeah who want to build a family business and work with them how does she feel about that she she conferred with lisbeth and they put me in touch with their good friend carlos mendez gotcha, okay yeah and so that's how that's how that got started what do you know when you think of many ways to, to run a business many ways to birth one too right yeah. you could just go and import stuff you could be taking the easy road but for you was this some sense of wanting to explore and understand the process and kind of discover i mean obviously these elements you're kind of describing but did you know all along that that was the way that you wanted to have your brand emerge is kind of organically grown from hand picking. Yeah, you know, it, it emerged from a discussion I had with um, with a business partner of mine who we've been doing some or attempting to do some mergers and acquisition work in the mm-hmm. cannabis industry, and we had this discussion, you know, back in uh, like late twenty fourteen, early twenty fifteen. It was, you know, what are you gonna do when you hit your number, right? Oh, like in right. terms of revenue, or it, yeah, like when you when you when you when you have enough money to do what you want to do, nice. and. Um, he, you know, he said, "I want. I love old people. They get ignored. I I do lots of handyman work around the neighborhood. I want to do. I would do more of that. Yeah. What would you do?" And I said, "Well, I guess I would want to do small business development in yeah. rural Latin America. I just finished traveling around the world and um, fell in love with Mexico. Yeah. And really all of Latin America. And uh, and so then it just like next sentence like, what are we waiting for? What, why do we have to hit our number before we do this? Why can't yeah. this be the thing that we do? So, you know, back up to 2012, bad year. You know, I had a breakup, sold sold a business, 
sold my house. Was selling the business a good thing though? It seems like it would be, but you know that that yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was difficult. You know that that the company wanted to be very very successful, Mm. Um, but I was tired from it. I was happy to be out of that. But I wanted to do something that was not about the green rush, right? It wasn't about chasing dollars. I wanted there to be meaning in what I was doing, Mm. which to me meant getting to know the people behind the product and you know hopefully elevating someone else's life while i do the same thing with my own did did you find that this is well you're a philosophy major so i can ask this in an existential kind of way right Right. doing that work which maybe seems like it's aimless and that it's not very fulfilling does that put you in some kind of crisis like creatively and cult like maybe spiritually we're like i i have to do something else now, like, I'm going to want to over-romanticize what I'm doing here with, with Mezcal. I mean, obviously, everyone needs to make money, right? Yeah. And, 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 and money enables you to do things that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. But I guess the insight was, you know, do they have to be separate? Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of people who are in the professions understand this very well. You know, anyone's in the medical field, um, they want to, it's meaningful work. You know, you're helping somebody at, at a time when they when they really need it right. and you're also doing well for yourself so that i just think that insight's really valuable for anybody who you know is going to obviously be spending a lot of time doing what they what they want to do right yeah i mean it's it's good and i, I think it's one of the spirits are maybe one of the places where those two things intersect where you can actually affect people mm-hmm. not not on the consumer side but the people that are producing but you also can it's not necessarily lucrative but you can at least sustain a business which then helps you, which then helps the producers. And that brings education, it brings sustainability and all these other kinds of things. So yeah, absolutely. Sense. I mean, the, the, the trick here right, really is to, is to get paid for playing the game, yeah. doing the thing that you want to do. And um, if you can figure that out, then you know, it works a joy. Yeah. So let's go, you know, we're trying this. Man, this quiche is so good, too. This is one of the finest I've had. Because, again, it's that sparkly thing. The fact you can use that really musky plant with very low sh- sugar inside of it and mm. craft something that's so beautiful. Yeah, I remember the first time seeing the seeing the Karwinskis yeah. stacked up and I thought, well, this is firewood, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this it can't actually, possibly this taste actually, good. Yeah, this, is a, this is agave. Yeah. These, is this one of the ones that you said you kind of felt had a more feminine flavor? Yeah, I do. Yeah. What it, If you could articulate that, what does that mean to you? Uh, well, you know, I mean, as, and counterpoint to the the, the 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 men producing it right mm. they're just they're these are these guys are <laughs> they're tough mm-hmm. <laughs> they have been working with their hands their whole lives and um as i said you know you shake their hand it's like someone stuffed a leather glove full of rocks yeah that's a great analogy but um but seraphine is just he's just a gentle sweet guy full of hugs yeah smiles soft-spoken and as tough as he is like he produces these just elegant spirits every single one of them and they all have that i don't know we have a we have a a rule when i do tastings with my friends Mm -hmm. that we don't use the words smoky smooth or interesting cool they're they're off the table right so um but he's got this you can tell that you can tell it was him yeah you can tell that he's He's the thumbprint on it yeah Word, I, I imagine that it comes in the finish because that's what kind of really is remarkable about this one. Right. Where you kind of taste like, oh, yeah, it's a quiche. It's right, good. Can, it's nice. 
You drink his tepestate next to yeah. this other outstanding tepestate I have here from Alejandrina, and um, it's just softer. Yeah, it's just it's, the flavors are more subdued, but obviously delicious. You know, not you know, it, maybe we, you know, you and I can write a blog. We could have a podcast with this, this available technology for us to kind of flex our creative muscles. You know. Mm-hmm. But is Mezcal kind of the outlet for these guys to share their creative passion? Yeah, unquestionably. I mean, I think obviously primarily they're feeding their families, Yeah. right? But if you want to do that, your product has to be something people want. Right. And then if you're going to begin, again, like I was saying, if you're going to be doing this all day, every day, mm-hmm. you better love it. So, yeah, and you watch him, watch him work. I think this is true with any good Mezcalero. They're meticulous. You know, they'll they're they're making sure every last bit of the macerated agave gets swept up out of the tahona and put into the tina and and then they they're patting the tina down nice and even all the way around. Yeah. You know, some of them put the little cross in the center and uh-huh. and they just keep an eye on keep an eye on things. Everything's you know, the best mescaleros are really neat. Yeah, and uh, best yeah. kitchens in the world too, right? Yeah, always super neat. Yeah. That's right. And I think it's very analogous in terms of creating this thing that's consistent to some variability, obviously, from varietal to varietal and from time of year to time of year, you know. But so, okay, so this is the thing. You know, I was talking, we were mentioning this before I started recording. You're with a motley crew of gents <laughs> on the road here. Yeah, yep. Totally different background. Some film, some brewing. Lives in Montana, lives in New York. But they all had this just unwavering dedication to your vision on this thing. And they wanted to play whatever part they could to help. And they, the, the thing that was common between like the multiple guys, because we were at Las Perlas last night, I was kind of drinking some mezcal, some sulfur. And they're like, yeah, he learned how to do all this stuff. Like, so you learned how to taste, you know? They said, we don't know what the equivalent of a mezcal sommelier is, but we kind of feel like Reed's got that characteristic. Do, do you know that like, I know that being too self-aware kind of messes up my mind sometimes. Right. But you, these guys, you realize like how much they support you in this project, and how excited they are for you. Yeah, I'm flattered to hear it. I love those guys. Yeah, you know, with all my heart, they're they're wonderful friends. So, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm flattered. Yeah, it's really, really kind of touching, to be honest. And again, they kind of lend me some insight as to the type of guy you are. But so let's go back, you know, because from my understanding of Pittsburgh, sensible people come from fucking Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) Working class, you know, like smart, solid, salt of the earth. Blue collar all the way. Blue collar all the way. So you grow up in your, because there's this this element of nutrition before you go into the green rush, as you say, and then probably some things in between. But so what are you doing as a kid in Pittsburgh? Are you skateboarding? Are you doing sports? Are you riding? bicycling was my thing you know? i loved i loved bicycling i started into that in high school and yeah. that's followed me all the way to the present day mm. it's very it's a meditative thing sure you know it's a good way to stay fit but pittsburgh was a wonderful place to grow up really i didn't realize it at the time you know i mm. I, I um the weather's terrible through mm-hmm. the winters um and you know finally after i moved they started to realize they've got three rivers running through town and it doesn't have to all be brown fields in front of it so mm-hmm. that's getting redeveloped and you know it was uh i don't know one of the, one of the food magazines like city of the year for restaurants in 2015 yeah. they've got a 
symphony orchestra, ballet. They have um, all you know the great sports teams. There's something like uh, and a crazy number of uh, universities in town. So the people are really smart as well. You know, diverse group, super, mm. super diverse. You know, but still the thing that defines Pittsburgh are, are the ethnic neighborhoods, right? Mm. So <clears throat> built up by Eastern Europeans and still have, you know, Squirrel Hill, a Jewish neighborhood, Polish Hill, obviously Polish, German town. Mm. You have uh, Bloomfield, which is Italian. And oh, wow. down in the Strip District, you've got Asian communities, you know, and they're that. So the food, the yeah. food's just like no other city and people don't realize this but it's, I, oh my god it's it's the one of the best places to eat it's, it's what i've heard and so my friend just moved there and she's like there's pierogies everywhere oh my god I'm yeah. like what the most pierogi eating city in america that's crazy man yeah. i had no idea i don't think yeah. people realize that yeah but here's you know it also seemed like despite what is this kind of burgeoning cultural melting pot and maybe that's not the right word but there is lots of different cultures though but still like somehow is it pretty insular still? It doesn't feel definitely, connected? Definitely, yeah. and that's, wh- that's why, really why I wanted to leave. Yeah. You know, I, I and I went back to um, Pittsburgh for graduate school, mm-hmm. and uh, I was living in Mount Washington, which overlooks the city, and I was meeting people who were bragging that they'd never left their neighborhood. Oh, wow. That's, sort of that's insular. Yeah, yeah so um, it's got the lowest attrition rate of any city in the U.S., or at least it did that. I don't know where current status yeah. is. So people who are born there tend to really stay there. Yeah. No and of idea. course, it's also got that Pittsburgh accent, right? The, yeah. The famous ugly accent, but it cracks me up. Were you able to shake it? Yeah, no, I, I was prohibited from <laughs> growing up. My, my parents wouldn't let me speak Pittsburghese. No. So, but even I walked off to college still dropping the 2B yeah, yeah. in front of... In front of uh, front of uh, verbs you know so yeah. my philosophy professors shook the rest of it out <laughs> <laughs> well, so given your ambitious and kind of entrepreneurial nature i always feel like that comes from someone comes from somewhere necessarily so were your folks kind of entrepreneurial as well yeah my father was an entrepreneur his father was an entrepreneur you know he left um indiana to move to pittsburgh um my grandfather grew up as a farmer moved to pittsburgh Worked his way up to the automobile industry until he was able to afford his own car dealership. Oh, cool. My father and my uncle joined him in that, and um, and and yeah. So you know, my I grew up with my grandfather asking me, you know, who's going to pay you for being alive today? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so that's a lot of looking back on. It's a lot of pressure. To I was going to say, but but uh, yeah, I mean, who paid you for getting up, dude? <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's. But uh, you know, value. more than that, I think just um, I really value my time. Yeah, you know, and uh, and so I want to be doing something that I designed. It's not that I object to working for other people. I don't. I, I, I think if a project's worth doing, it's worth doing, no matter who came up with the idea. Sure. It's just that I've always felt the need to have my freedom to put things down and go when I wanted to. And, so does that somehow, one, was there an expectation that college is the best way or the most efficient way to get to the end state of running a business? Or was that sure. kind of a weird thing? Well, no, my, my father's generation was the first to go through college, and it was always just assumed. It was one of those things where, um, 
where you, you you grew up in it and it's expected and it's yeah. never even questioned no so was, what about master's work was that also an expectation or yeah I, um I think all but one of all but one of us in, in my immediate family has has some graduate work. No kidding. Yeah, that's pretty good. It is good, right? Yeah, because yeah. honestly, I don't. My folks they didn't went to a little bit of college. Yeah, my, brother no, did. my father did uh, microbiology. My brother did econ. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. So was did you enter? Because I understand there's this nutritional aspect of what the family was kind of doing. Did you come into that business? Was that your business? Had it been something? That existed a while. This was um, this was something that you know. This was ba- you got to go back to when the internet was just getting, yeah. getting started, right? Like ninety six. Yeah, yeah. Started it in ninety. Wow. Somewhere around there. Yeah, ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah. And um, man, I was just completely fascinated, taken by the, the whole yeah. internet phenomenon, right? And my brother Mark was coming out of Stanford, so he had he was really close to the epicenter of it right sure. and um i had all the, this abiding interest in plant medicines since high school mm. and so we started to get into these dietary supplements and you know one thing led to another and we decided to start selling them on the web and you know seven years later we sold that company oh man yeah i mean that's yeah that was the heyday of it we're maybe one of the first doing nutritional supplements online yeah, we we were. Um, there was um, another company. I can't recall the name off the top of my head. It was one of the one of the uh, scions of the of the Pepsi Cola family. I oh, think okay. started started it. Um, then they had to go for a second round of funding, and we just were this this little tiny like bootstrap outfit. That yeah, I think we did pretty well. And so you ended up selling that, transitioning into something else. Sold that. Did some traveling. Mm. Um, so pretty young guy at that point i was 30 just turned 34 mm. um so it was november of 2004 sold that company yeah and decided to, to see what the world looked like and how did it look it was, it was incredible had you traveled much before no i had i mean around the u.s you know i grew yeah. up in, the, in a family where you know that was the the, the diversity of experience was prized so yeah. took tri- trips all around the u.s regional places in the u.s every every summer you know here's what new england looks like here's what the south looks like here's the west and that's how i ended up moving to colorado i just completely fell in love with the wide open spaces right sure but yeah i traveled around the world and i wasn't really all that interested in mexico but it was not at that time at that time it was close Mm. so it was the 34th country that i visited and I went to Oaxaca again. 34, 34, that's, that's an interesting coincidence, actually. 34 years old. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Although, yeah. So I got to, to, to Mexico, Oaxaca, because I had that interest in medicinal plants. And it's just this hotbed for plant diversity in the sure. world. Like, incredible number of species of ferns. Um, of course, it's where Gordon Wasson discovered the, uh, psilocybin mushroom oh i didn't know that you sure that's in oaxaca that's in oaxaca what led to him is um the salvia divinorums down there there's um just uh unbelievable diversity of of plant life so i went just to go there and just to see what was going on yeah and i just ducked into this 
room not it was not bigger than this room we're sitting in now you know it's just a little tiny thing that's mm-hmm. la mesclarita and that's up on the Al- <laughs> alcala just north of the templo santo domingo now and they've expanded they're in another room next door which used to be a restaurant and they've got the terraza upstairs and uh they've expanded their offerings but i had my first good mezcal and um even then i think a good bottle was like 50 dollars. yeah but we threw down for it and, and um was traveling with the girlfriend at the time and from there we went to um um san cristobal mm-hmm. in uh, chiapas and we just set up one night in front of a fireplace drink drank that whole damn bottle and woke up the next morning feeling fine yeah. i was like what is what is this <laughs> why 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 am i not because what do you drink in Pittsburgh? Was it, they have like a coffee oh, brandy or something, right? Yeah, yeah, the Boilermakers yeah. with icy Iron City or Icy Light, you know, and a and a cheap whiskey. Yeah, Doesn't but feel the same. No, not the, not at all, <laughs> not at all. So we, were, I was blown away. You know, I just this was. Do you feel bad? Is it just me? What what's going on here? <laughs> have and, I developed some kind of weird tolerance? Yeah, some kind thing. of superpower, right? Yeah. And so that was my first introduction to a good mezcal. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, fast forward and the rest is, you know, rest is history. How was it getting into something? So the other businesses kind of, I guess you can talk about the Green Rush as well. And it's kind of this movement in the industry, lots of people getting involved. So you know it's probably going to be lucrative, right? But Mezcal probably could be. But are you scared about the prospects of saturation in the market? not getting what I consider most of, some of the most exceptional mezcal I've had, getting that to, to the lips, do you find that those challenges kind of keep you up at night? No, they don't. I, 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 think, um, I think that if, you know, you just got to trust in, the, in this product. And, you know, and yeah. I consumed a lot of mezcal over the last four years, and, yeah. and, um, and these are exceptional. They are, and the people who have them know it. They want them. This is the thing, like, right, people... People ask me, what do you think about Mezcal's sustainability? Can it survive the boom? Yeah. It, it, this is, I put the question right back to the consumer. What do you want? What do you want to be drinking? Yeah. Do you want diffuser Mezcal? Because we tried that, it, it didn't work. Yeah, right. You know, it's it's not good to drink. Do you want, do you want uh, an ancestral category? Mm-hmm. Or do you want an artisanal category that's that's pushing the line between artisanal and industrial where do you where do you want to where do you want to consume this you know it's up to you do you think they know this is the thing i've kind of understood is that mezcal is like that band everybody's talking about you know what i'll use an exact fucking example arcade fire when they started when they came out right they everybody was talking about them i was so friggin' tired of hearing about fucking arcade fire selling out emos downtown and stuff like oh did you go to the show no i didn't go to the show in a way like because it was so popular i kind of rejected it a little bit right but now that's kind of tapered off a little bit <clears throat> for Arcade Fire for sure after we won, won the Grammy, but more so for Mezcal. It's kind of tapered off just a little bit, right? Vice has done writing about it. Now it's about Sotol, the new kind of media darling and stuff. But people are still talking about Mezcal. But the thing is with consumers, they just know Mezcal. Well, what is it? I don't know, but I, Mezcal. Yeah. Right? Like, what's it composed of? I, I don't really know. Where's it made? Mexico. Cool. Where? I, I mean, I don't know. You know, so... There's this big educational gap to bring people in in a soft, light way to where they can understand the category more. Mm-hmm. And do you find like that's something, because we're dealing with industry all the time, and they're very self-initiated. They understand Mezcal. They research it. They're like, hold your feet to the fire about where it comes from and stuff. 
but there's still a lot of work to be done on the consumer side too don't you think yeah there is absolutely i'm you know and for every journalist who calls mezcal tequila smoky cousin i just want to poke him in the eye i mean (laughs) just knock it off first of all if it's if it's really that smoky then the then the fire didn't die down right. long enough in the in the Orno, and someone made a mistake. Right, right. You know, and cousin, no, they're peers, man. Yeah, yeah. Tequila's a type of mezcal. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So there's gonna there's a group of people, uh, probably the majority, that that are never going to um, bother to learn about it. Right. That's fine. They've got other priorities, or they can drink vodka. But uh, for people who encounter and start to appreciate a good mezcal yeah. they'll get drawn in and that's who this product's for right this is i'm not playing to the masses here i, I don't that doesn't really bother me i think there's enough people who really love mezcal to um to support the good brands yeah i, I do I, and you if you if you just keep an eye on the, the tequila shelf around the country you can see it's sort of shrinking as mezcal grows right right i mean why are you drinking you know you've got this whole prism of colors right and why are you drinking just out of this one bandwidth yeah everything like all this tequila on the shelf and you're missing out all these other agaves right it It is it's monochromatic it is black and white you know it makes no it makes no sense and i i think that there's always a there, there has to be that one moment either it's a person or it's a place or time in one's life, and then you finally connect with mezcal, as many say mezcal finds you, in a right. sense. And you were drinking that bottle in Chiapas and kind of realized what everything kind of came together. So one of the things I think, so let's let's use this, you know, normally, because I've talked to a lot of people and I always want to talk about their lives, but there's some cool new designations for mezcal that kind of came out with the ancestral mm-hmm. and artisanal. So you have a tobala that's made in ancestral style. Correct. So let's sip that one. You kind of talk me through the process for folks, because the consumers that hear this, I want them to kind of understand there is actually different shades of production with mezcal. Yeah, absolutely there is. Yeah, and this is one I didn't get to try last night too, so I'm selfishly. Oh, you didn't try this last night? Mm-hmm. You know, you like this. I don't know if you've had many mezcals out of a hootla, but they, they've got this distinct terroir, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when you've had um, a mezcal from a hootla, like you can just start to pick them out of a lineup, right? I think this has a similar, similar flavor to those mezcals. Yeah. So initially, man, it's like there's a on some of the Isla scotches that are more coastal. I guess Isla is coastal, but like Lecheg, mm-hmm. Lecheg, depending on you There's this kind of almost sulfur, sulfurous fishiness that this reminds me of, but not fish. It's more like a cured venison or something right like kind of a super protein piece just on the nose i haven't tried it yet right which is super cool because you don't where the hell are you can get that note in tequila right, right. <laughs> You're not, right. there's no possible way right so this is from Ihula, you said no this is actually from el lazo which okay. is which is up the mountain another hour out of uh sola de vega oh right okay yeah and i mean just way hidden away how did you find this place Given it is so hidden, was it something Carlos and you guys? Yeah, it, you know, I, you know, I owe so much to Carlos because he's become a, just a great friend. He's a super human being, and yeah. you know, just word of mouth, really talking to people. Who do you know? Here's what we're looking for. 
you know, here's a guy who wants to start a line and but he doesn't want anything to go over 500 liters, right? Yeah, dude, that's so, crazy. So who's doing small stuff? And and so we found uh, the Cruz family, right? Angel Cruz Robles and his grandfather, Angel Cruz Calvo. Mm-hmm. And that's who's, Mezcal, this is the elder. Yeah, right? oh, shit. Don, Don Calvo, 83 years old. Dude. Mezcal before every meal, still swinging a mazo in Kanoa. Yeah. You know, just out there. Playboy, international hand, playboy. Hand, hand macerating this stuff. Dude. Just a uh, picture of health. And um, clay distillation. And the really cool thing, mm. like I guess the really romantic piece of this, this is they, 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 they draw their water from a sacred source. Mm. And I mean that literally. Mm-hmm. So there are like maybe 10 to 30 people visit this spring every day for religious reasons and there's a there's a temple next to it little little shrine a little temple next to it and then they if it's a big enough group they'll bring up you know one of those um banner posters and they'll hang that up to indicate that they were there and they did their they did their pilgrimage to the source and then there's a little cottage industry they're selling containers to collect the water i saw those super colorful little <laughs> yeah is there like the same containers you do for mezcal but they're all colored yeah they're all colored yeah, yeah. that's cool yeah, so so you know you got Anhel Cruz, mm-hmm. both of them Anhel Cruz drawing water from a sacred source, and it's it's just it's like, are you kidding me? The, who's looking for the looking for the camera? Like who's putting me on here? Yeah, some really special place. It's kind of because it's so different than it is in the states. We're very little sacred. <laughs> it's kind of like <clears throat> it's a little refreshing. So this guy, man, this is super good. This is lovely because it the way that it smells if it was a person you'd be you'd think they're a little standoffish because it smells a little stiff right but yeah. still in its own kind of austere rugged way but then you taste it and you finally get to shake this guy's hand and talk about life and you find how animated and how humorous they are right and then this fruitiness comes out and with the clay itself sometimes rather how do you feel about besides this is exceptional this doesn't taste much like many clay mezcals i've had for you, what is typically some stuff you get and pull out of the flavor of clay distilled mezcals? Uh, well, um, you you help you know depending on how new the 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 oil is, um, you can taste the clay to varying degrees, right? Yeah. These are old; these are older pots. Clearly, you're not yeah. getting that wet cement flavor that mm-hmm. you sometimes get from a new pot that's like overwhelming clay. And um, so, for that reason, I think you just a a note on production you got to have a lot of pots going because yeah. if you're going to put the put the product together and you break a pot and you put a new one in there you know you can't go replacing all of them at the same time that's a great point and it would be inconsistent in flavor right because right. if one's new and has that kind of what cement's a great word for it i think yeah. it's like licking chalk yeah it's, you know? it's chalky yeah absolutely a, i mean that's a great flavor for some people but i i never realized that they never took into consideration that the age of the actual clay pot itself really has a lot to do with it. Oh, sure it makes a huge difference and even give the even give the mezcal a, a tint yeah you know yeah that's absolutely make it right. just a tiniest bit yellow if it's new mm. so um yeah you gotta these are all considerations that go into it right yeah. i'm you know they're just cruising along trying to trying to do the best they can and and uh and, and sell product to keep their families going but so 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 the elder got his palenque just a little bit down the slope from mm-hmm. the younger and this is he's just such a great guy 
Angel's the younger, right? Mm. The younger, uh, Robles, he's um, gotten into the science of this thing, right? So when you go to visit him, he's he's got his um, his um, you know column out, and he's testing the uh, specific gravity of his oh, tapache, cool. yeah. and uh, or he's you know experimenting with storing in stainless versus plastic, yeah. and he's discovered through his testing that they don't need to cut the puntas. They don't need to cut them? They don't cut the puntas in this or any of their mezcals. Wait, so it's the ferment is so clean that they just kind of collect all of it, basically? He's, yeah, he's got it dialed. Dude, that's that's crazy. Yeah, they do cut the tails, of course, but sure. yeah, but no, they don't cut the puntas. Dude, because as, as we have at least been led to believe, all that methanol. Right. It's like right there and right? condensed. And yet it's testing well below the 300. That's crazy. Limit set by the CRM. So oh, Yeah, yeah he's just cool. like, what? we don't need to. Just tested it. Fine. That's bound to give them better results too, better outcome, output rather. Yeah, better, better yield. Yeah, and taste the product. I mean, there's there's flavor in the puntas, right? Oh, dude, it's one of the best things. Right. That's what's tragic about having to cut them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, it's like the burn ends on brisket. Right. Yeah. Oh my god, that's the best. Because we had favorite. some of your brisket yesterday. And yeah. Just pretty much put us all into a meat coma did you yeah when i met with you guys i'm like either they just drank all day or they ate brisket, like, brisket. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was definitely meat coma kind of face yeah but it's nice because you're like i'm at least i'm happy i might be tired but i'm, I'm mm-hmm. happy how, so how do you feel about them act the comacom i think that's the right entity them actually designating ancestral as a particular type of mescal do you think it's helpful hurtful nothing at yeah all? you know uh this is such a thorny issue right the whole the whole involvement of the CRM, the you know the appropriation of the word mezcal, and and then I mean this has been called mezcal forever, yeah. right now. But now you have to go through this process if you want to call it mezcal. And mm-hmm. I mean I get it what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to replicate the success of tequila, but at the same time try to try to differentiate, try to avoid the industrialization that took place in tequila. Yeah, so I appreciate that. I'm not sure they made they drew the lines in the right places, right? Yeah, I don't know. So I, I like the industrial line. Like if you're if you're if you're using a diffuser, then I mean, I wish I wouldn't call it mezcal. To be honest, sure, I think that should be ex- excluded from the designation. But at least a savvy consumer knows if it doesn't say artisanal or ancestral, then there's a good chance that well, there's a definite chance that it was made by a diffuser. Sure. There's only two. Mescal producers, I think, that are using diffusers anyway. Yeah, I only know yeah, one or two. Yeah. And that's a word, too, that people don't necessarily understand anyway. Diffuser, I find it fascinating that you can actually do that and you can manipulate a plant's starch levels and convert them to sugars in an instant way. I mean, that's to me, that's mad genius, even though it tastes like rubbish, right? But right. I still think that's a big opportunity, too. I guess what I'm saying is that we're still crawling. We haven't learned how to walk when it comes to mescal terminology, and they're already getting pretty thick into ancestral production techniques. It, yeah it, it is there's a lot there's a there's a there's a there's a learning curve to it yeah. that that people need to get through the diffuser thing is really something that i wish people were doing more educating about mm-hmm. because that has just been i compare it to how you know the what's the dr seuss story where the one slur cuts down the truffula trees right oh yeah, yeah. it's the it's the one slur of agave right <laughs> <laughs> i mean you just you're just, you're just, just, it's destructive. Yeah. It's, it's a terrible technology. Dude, there's, you know, I heard this story that 
I would imagine it's true, and I won't say which billion-dollar tequila magnate actually does this, but because they know they can convert shit agave into sugar, they just buy it all and then drive prices up for people. They don't even use it necessarily. They just store it so that no one else can have it, and then that artificially oh. drives up. Isn't that crazy? Oh, that's evil. Yeah, if that's stupid. true, that's evil. Dude, and I'm pretty oh. sure that's heard. Well, I mean, you do see the trucks leaving Oaxaca full of Espadín, yeah. and that's going to go into tequila, which is supposed to be Blue Weber tequila. Right. Tequilana and and uh, it's just too similar a plant. The temptations are there. Yeah, it's really powerful. Tequila industry gets what they want. You know, back when they introduced the NAM that did the three designations, mm-hmm. you know, they got heavy lobbying from the two producers who had already bought diffusers. That was their actual argument. Well, we've already bought our diffusers. Oh, <clears throat> okay. And instead of saying, "Well, stuff it," they're like, oh, "I guess we better give you your category." Yeah. Jeez. Like, come on. <clears throat> the power of money, man. I mean, it's yeah. the same same thing. And this is again why I come back to that whole that whole <clears throat> point to educate the consumer. And is this what you want to drink? Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to drink a product that is denying magueros their livelihood? That is harvesting plants early. That's causing people to use fertilizers to grow agaves more quickly. You mm-hmm. know, is that is that what you want, or do you want the real real McCoy? Because if it's if it's ancestral or if it's especially if it's ancestral or if it's artisanal you're going to get a much better product just de facto right and ancestral is a couple things hand mashed right yeah there's a there's a number of um there's actually a pretty good list of four or five points that designate the category ancestral from artisanal but the one that the consumer needs to know really can can hang their hat on is the difference between the clay and the copper, yeah. right? And then, of course, the maceration. You can use a tahona in both, but in ancestral, it has to be either hand macerated with mazo and canoa, or it has to be done by tahona. Um, now, I know one producer out in Sola de Vega, a hilarious guy, total rascal, yeah. could be ancestral, but uses uh, the chipper. Oh right, yeah, right. So that you don't know, you know, there's there's a government program where they were basically giving away these chippers yeah, to help right. save labor and ramp up production. Well, you got a hold of one of them. As many as many of them, man, this is this is like one of these secrets people don't know. Yeah. But even a lot of the ancestral producers have a chipper stuffed in a shed somewhere, <laughs> right? When they get tired. We're just going to run it, and you you'd be hard pressed to know the difference, Dude, honestly. I, I think. So. There has never been any real compelling AB variable kind of testing on this is yeah. or this is hand matched. Yeah. There's, there's the, it's all about the romance. Right, right. Vinyl always so, sounds better. Wait, it doesn't always sound better. Yeah, so I mean, if you're lifting a 35-pound mazo <clears throat> made, of a, made of a lignum vitae yeah. and you're doing that for eight hours a day, you need a break. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And so, so the chippers came along and a lot of the guys just went over to that. I don't fault them for it. Yeah. So should that exclude them from the ancestral category? Probably not. They're still distilling in clay. Right. These are still tiny pots, right? They're pop. They're you know they're pushing out twenty liters per pot per pot, right? right. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Do you? Th- I mean, the, th- the thing that I'm kind of at a loss for is that the economic, of, rather the the value add to consumers about the designations of the mezcal types. Mm-hmm doesn't matter right now because they're not clearly defined that for you and i will get it and we can like oh is it clay or copper right we use this this language very casually because we've had so much of it but for my dad 
he loves stuff and he'll taste it and if it tastes good he likes it but i don't think he would ever care if it's copper or clay and so in a way it was ahead of its time these classifications yeah they were and the other thing i will say about the do is is it's it's the it's the largest do in the world yeah and they probably need to break it down into state and even within the state if you're interesting if you're, yeah. if you're if you're want to be honest about it but you know it should be mezcal de oaxaca yeah. mezcal de puebla right because then there's your variations in quality right totally. that and flavor. or or flavor or, or just just simply preference right we don't have to qualify them yeah but and, and that's what that's what's causing a lot of internecine strife you know the the tension between puebla and oaxaca over mezcal is that you know hey oaxaca has been producing 80 percent of this stuff forever right what are you guys you're just jumping on the bandwagon <clears throat> but really you know the political boundary between oaxaca and puebla is insignificant you go to southern puebla and northern oaxaca why why should that make a difference right right so it's 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 a tough thing to parse and and that's what they're trying to or that's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to put it all under one one roof. Yeah. So I think maybe something along the lines of of uh, doing state DOs would do a, go a long way to kind of quell the uh, flames on on the arguments over DO. And that's how tech, uh, whiskey works here in the states, right? There's Tennessee whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. There's bourbon. Yeah. There's Virginia style. Yeah. Alabama stuff, right? I mean, so this so it makes perfect sense. It, it so whenever they have this sense. like massive do, it doesn't make any sense, right? right? Well, and in twelve states, maybe a little hard to kind of give them. So Mitchell Khan has its thing for sure, right. right? Puebla has its thing for sure. Durango has its thing. Waka. So there are a few of them, I think, that really have their unique thumbprint in terms of flavor. But when you get out to some of the others, I don't even think there's any producers in Aguas Calientes yet, is there? I know that that's uh, and and there the uh, you know the governor prevailed in his suit to to knock those guys out at least temporarily oh really yeah oh, i don't know no if you know that yeah a couple yeah. weeks ago yeah oh, cool. the governor of oaxaca sued and um to protect his his producers and was successful in at least holding that off for a little while longer so just that state or morelos too morelos and um estado de mexico, estado de mexico yeah. so, so those three is like stalled yep stalled that's, well it's cool yeah the economic power of this stuff yeah i mean that's the meeting i was telling you about um Still, I'm still trying to struggling to recall the name of the town, but went to that meeting where the governor flew in and basically said, "Hey, you know, I got your back," and he did, which was great. You know, he came through on that. That's great. So one of the things that I, you know, I feel like maybe like credibility is kind of a thing. So I know with how protective the industry is about mezcal and agave and stuff, they're like, "Yeah, but who, but who are you?" Right. And so people would ask me, we'll be talking about, yeah, but what do you do? You know, there's this kind of attitude because we're, I, I'm glad that we want to protect the Gabe and Mezcal for sure. I think it'll make sure that we keep some quality and some standards going on for a long time. But, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a white dude, you know, that I would, what's the question may come about where it's like, well, yeah, Reed, but what, what have you done? Like, what makes you qualified? To be representing these people in these mascots right yeah you know anybody could do this yeah anyone who's willing to put you know four years of time into this but see that's the key <laughs> right you say that passively but you put four years in you are committed to less than 500 liter batches right right i mean quanta cuentos where does this concept come the storyteller yeah this comes from meeting the people who are making this right 
it comes from the idea that you know here here comes this gringo dropped out of nowhere walking up into my palenque <laughs> at least he's got a mexicano with him yeah. right and um and um just this complete standoffishness to um, yeah maybe this guy's gonna buy a couple liters let's have let's let's taste him out on it and um you know a copita into it everyone starts to loosen up a little bit and then uh, what's your story right yeah and they're tell- talking to me about their family and what they do and what they've been doing forever. And I tell them where I'm coming from. And so we become these storytellers narrating our lives. And at the end, you know, we walk away friends, yeah. right? So what do I, what's my qualification? Ask, ask the producers I'm working with. Yeah. They can tell you better than I can. You know, do they want me to continue doing what I'm doing? Absolutely. You know, I, I, um, the, the story I like to tell about Angel Cruz Robles is, you know, this, this guy gets it like right off the bat. He was like, yeah, he's, he's got this sort of like, you see the light bulb go off, yeah. you know, he's like, yeah, we this is great. We can do this. And um, so he, on his birthday last year, he, he bought himself a pickup truck. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like just wanted me to bring one down from the States, but he had one in mind in particular. And it's like, man, we don't, we don't have that up here. Right. Yeah. He's like, oh, I found one. And he bought it for his birthday, this great pickup truck, used pickup truck. So now he can drive his Mezcal down out of the mountains, do the three, three-and-a-half-hour journey to, to town, get the testing done, deliver it to my bottling facility, you yeah. know. And so his wife catches wind of this, right? She's like, you bought a pickup truck? <laughs> You're doing well, right? We've been together 14 years. We have children. Can, will you marry me? Oh, they weren't married. And so he, he gets on, he texts me. He's like, listen, I want to get married. Can you buy some more mezcal? <laughs> Dude. And I was like, of course, man. After that's whatever, you, whatever you need, let's do it. So that's going to be in May. You know, we're going down to the to the wedding in May. And, and Mexican weddings are just the best. Oh, There's man. just all out, you know, celebrations yeah. of life. And so, yeah, so... What qualifies me? I don't know. Ask ask God in hell, right? Yeah. We're we're getting we're getting things done. I that's it. That's all it is. Is you're doing it for people and not profit. I hope so. You I know? mean everybody has to profit, right? Like, I don't no, want to over course. I don't want to overly romanticize it, right? But but that that piece of it's that's rewarding. That's yeah. that's why I'm in it. Hey dude, can you buy some more mezcal so I can get married? Yeah. Oh, that's a great position to be in. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, fun. you know, if he's not going to buy more mezcal to help a guy out, that's, it, this is the thing. I think dedicating, I think four years is a long time because it took you, what, three and a half at least until you were bringing stuff in? Or was it four years total before you Yeah, it's like, like three and a half years to just get, just to get the first um, pallet up to Colorado, right? And, um, I, and, you know, that long to get my Spanish to uh, yeah. a place of sufficiency where I could, chat with these guys you know what did you what was something because i'm gonna do the same thing this year it's one of the i've got fundamental spanish i can kind of understand especially when it comes to distilling that stuff makes sense what were some resources for you that really helped you yeah i can give you a couple books that um it really just came down to two books for me and yeah one of them was called mas facile it's just this really thin little maybe quarter of an inch thick book that just lays out the grammar Mm. and and um you can sit down with a cup of coffee or something and, and um, just learn. You can really learn the grammar in a weekend. 
Cool. I mean, there there are fourteen tenses, but most of them aren't used, right? There's maybe five or six that you use daily speaking. Really, boils down to like four. I mean, really not that much. Yeah. And you can learn those, and I I just laid them out on a spreadsheet, and I would do that until I had it right. Did that in the weekend. Okay, so now I need to learn how to use it, and I need to learn vocabulary. So when you're an adult, you're this is all in reverse, right? When you're right. when you're a kid, you hear it, you imitate it, you learn to assign meaning to it, mm-hmm. and then you learn the rules. It's the it's the reverse when you're an adult. You le- got to learn the rules, and then you got to learn meaning, and then it becomes automatic. Mm-hmm. You start imitating, right? You start. You, this becomes this automatic thing, and so for that, it was I'm hiring a tutor, right? So mm-hmm. sit down started out twice a week and then went to once a week and then you know i haven't i haven't seen her in a long time but um i got a great tutor a, Ch- a chilean woman and <clears throat> at the time didn't even speak english oh wow so you, know, you gotta have your back against the wall if you really want to learn a language sure that's a good these are really good tools and i think that <clears throat> these are things I kind of want to help for myself and help other people. So I'm going to get the name of that book. Right. I know you mentioned it, but yeah, so the other one is a workbook, and um, it's just like crossword puzzles. You know, yeah. if you sit in front of it for an hour or two a day, that's the thing. Most people, most people want would like to have the ability to learn a second language, mm-hmm. but they really don't want to put the effort into learning language, yeah. right? But if you if you if you uh, if you are not a didact, if you can hold your f- own feet to the fire, mm-hmm. and you dedicate two hours a day. And then once a week, go and have that, like, everybody's afraid of making mistakes, right? Sure. So even a couple of times, I was just like, listen, Nicole, we're going to, let's go have a drink. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Well, let's like lower the inhibitions a little bit. I'm going to make a bunch of mistakes. And uh, and you can tell me where I went wrong. And yeah. I just went like that for, for three years. That's amazing. That's, it's very inspirational, to be honest, man, because that's kind of where I'm at with, I'm going to be taking on some projects. I'll be down in Mexico quite, quite a lot more, you know. Yeah, everybody can do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. We're not stupid guys, so that right. helps too. I yeah. Think. No, I mean, look, I mean, everybody speaks their language. Doesn't yeah. matter what your IQ is, right? There's something oh, about right. the human brain that can pick up language. Mm-hmm. Now, does that become less accessible as we get older, or do we become less desirous of knowing it? Yeah. I mean, it's the question is whether you need it or not. That's a good point. So yeah, you can definitely learn it. You just gotta get to the point where you're forcing yourself to think in it, right? Yeah. You know, I do I day-to-day activities. I want to go to my car. Where are my keys? Am I asking myself that in English or am I doing it in Spanish? Yeah. That's great. So you're here in Texas, you're distributed in Colorado and Montana, oddly enough, which is a good Yeah. But what are the next plans? Like you guys are in town, I think in Austin one more night and then you're heading back to Colorado? And then we're going to head on down to Houston. Oh, cool. Okay. And um almost like a little pilgrimage for me i wanted to go see the pastry board before we left of course and you've probably got people to connect with and stuff but there's one person i'd like you to connect with is he owns the bar upstairs from pastry board justin is really good dude loves mezcal loves it and this is really good stuff i think he would enjoy to, to be tasting on because again this stuff's just fabulous man thank you it's it's one of those things is that you can be as kind of standoffish as you want but once you try you're like okay no okay i get it well done mate well, well done. You know, right, this right. is great fucking stuff. Right. So I got one question left for you. Yeah. You know, we've been sipping through this lovely mezcal last night and then this afternoon. So you're anywhere in the world, and let's say you're sipping on this Tobala in Unbar. And you could have a conversation 
with anybody, living or deceased? Who would you love just to sit, sip this, and have a conversation with? Oh, man. I still miss Christopher Hitchens. Oh, the philosopher himself? Yeah, the, the polemicist and just uh, just a sh- one of the sharpest intellects. Yeah. You know, whether you agree with him or not, he's just... He was polarizing, for sure. Yeah, polarizing for sure, but um, and I didn't always agree with what they had to say, but yeah. I just I loved how incisive he was. I'd probably have to go with Hitchens. Oh, dude, that's a problem. And that's like when I do my little presentations, my parting shot is a quote from him, which is, cheap booze is a false economy. <laughs> that's absolutely fucking perfect. Yeah. It'd be a great person. There would be no shortage of conversation. Right. Yeah. And disagreements, I imagine. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> that's right. Well, Reed, it's been a pleasure, man. I'm glad that I got introduced to the brand. I'm glad I got introduced to you. It's been just a pleasure getting to talk to you and your friends and stuff. And, you know, the best of luck with everything. And this is Delicious Mezcal, so I got to make sure people know, too. Mike, thanks so much for spending so much time with me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Talk soon, yeah? All right. So there we have it. Reed Spear of Cuento Cuentos Mezcal. Incredible stuff. I've got to know Reed better over the past year, year and a half since we did this interview. Can't wait to spend more time with him here. He'll be in Austin shortly as well. But it's weird how things change and then they stay the same. I'll probably see Reed in the same place that he was junketing for last year. And it's just amazing to see the progress he has and the deep passion for the category of mezcal. And a lot of those little jabs he has sometimes via text for certain organizations. So Reed, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat. And I can't wait to see what you drop next. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to Be with Mike G. No matter how many episodes of Kitchen Nightmares you're watching or if you're thinking, man, Jason Statham, Guy Ritchie could put him in just about any movie and I would watch that because I will watch that. Please keep dancing.